much for the grace that comes to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And as we considered this morning the idea of grace for a parent's heart, um, as we consider parenting and the challenges that are involved in it, um, there's none of us who do it well. There, there's none of us who, who have gotten it correct, and so we need grace every day as parents. And I pray that today as we focus on the grace that is available for our hearts, that um, we would run to it, that we would not run from it, that we would not, that we would not shirk away from it, that, that we would think that we can do this in and of our own strength, Father. I pray that we would be humble before you to receive the grace that you so want to give to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I know none of you would ever be on Facebook, but can... But how, how many of you are familiar that, that most moms have some kind of mom's forum on Facebook, right? Yeah. So consider these two posts on Facebook from two different Christian mothers. It's so great to be a Christian parent, and I thank God for my children that, that their parents are not like others. We have such a great time when we start the day with family devotions. We never miss a day, e even if we're traveling. Our home is a haven of purity, and we do so much for missions. Our children know the names of every missionary our church supports, and we alternate learning their names at night with learning chapters of Romans as we memorize them together. Thank you, Lord. It's not far off, though, from some of the stuff I've seen. It's not far off. Then consider this post. Lord, I feel useless. Please have mercy on my kids, because with a parent like me, they sure need it. If you were a mom on that Facebook forum, what would you comment on the first post? Honest comment, not the one that you have to post that others will see. What would your honest comment be? Yeah, right, yeah. What else would you comment? I would put this, there's no way. <laughs> or just one word, really? What would you say to the second person if that person caught you in the hallway after ABF this morning and said, that's me? What would you say to that mother? How many of you have been there with that mother? Okay. Let me ask you a question. Let, let's look at the, the handout that I had laying out there for you. The big idea is there's grace for a parent's heart. There is grace for a parent's heart. And we've talked a lot about hard-hitting issues, and probably after last week, if you were here, you felt kind of pretty short and, and pretty stepped on as a parent. But, but let's understand that that's only one side of the coin of parenting. There are things that you feel guilty about as a parent. What do you feel guilty about as a parent? The amount of time, the amount of time that you have for your kids? being a working parent, yeah? What else do you battle? What other things do you feel guilty about as a parent? Impatience. You get impatient with your kids? I mean, really? Yeah. <laughs> what else? This is a, <laughs> the last, she just, for those listening, this is the last time I'm taking you guys all to Aldi with me. That's the last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aldi's smart. They know how to put all the good stuff that kids want right down at their eye level. They know how to do it. They're not, they're not dumb. And then they price it lower than any other store. It's still a lot of money, but they still price it lower. So you're, you're like, okay, I guess it won't be too bad to buy it for them. And then you get to the end and you're like, $400? Are you kidding me? What else do you feel guilty about as a parent? Anger. Anger. It just makes me angry to hear that, Carrie. No. <laughs> Anger. Yeah. What are there some of the things you feel guilty about? Not enough for you to go around. How many of you ever feel bad as you look at your own heart about um, you feel guilty that you let your kids get away with really bad behavior because you're just too tired? Or you feel guilty that you're always constantly correcting your children? Or you feel guilty because, you know, you're not providing the way that you should for your parents. Hey, Jimmy, your Bible's way up here. Are you going to sit up here with me? Okay. I made some highlights in there, by the way, of some things I thought you might want to look at. So, 
you. Okay, all right, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it's easy to feel guilty, and let me caution you on one thing. As a parent of young children, you should blow up your social media So for two reasons. One, so you're not posting pious comments, and two, so that you're not being, you're not being guilted by the pious comments that are out there. You should blow up your social media. And you should never go back to it. People ask me, why are you on social media? Because it, it, it's really instructive to me as a pastor to see the way that people in my own flock, yes, you should probably block me. <laughs> it informs me a lot about how you think by the way that you post. It informs me a lot. And, and, and what it informs me is, is that you battle with the same stuff that the world battles with, and it also informs me that even in our own family of believers, we battle with the idea of comparing ourselves to others. And you're sitting there thinking, no, not me, that's the person sitting next to you. But let's be honest, parenting often is accompanied with guilt, is it not? There's nothing more humbling than being a parent. And here's why. Have you had this experience that when you get it wrong with your children and they know you get it wrong, is there anything more humbling than that? That should humble you. That should humble you. And what we do with the guilt of parenting says a lot about what we truly believe. It says a lot about what we really believe, specifically what we really believe about the gospel. For instance, if you feel guilty about parenting and you're constantly trying to make up for your guilt, what does that say you believe about the gospel? It's works-based. But come on, be honest with me. How many of you have tried to make up for past indiscretions with your kids? Like, okay, I got really mad at you over this, and you, so you know what, I'm going to let you stay up to 11 o'clock and then try to get you up at 7 o'clock for our regular day tomorrow and expect you to be good, but I'm going to give you some grace tonight. You ever been guilty of trying to do something like that with your kids? If we think that we can make up for our past errors or our sins against our children or our own guilt over things, if we think we can make it up, by doing something, we don't understand the gospel and how it applies to our parenting. How many of you have been tempted and have even just said, that's it, I give up? I'm not disciplining you anymore for that. What does that say that we say about the gospel? When we give up, what are we saying about the gospel? It's powerless. It's impotent. It can't, it can't correct anything. The gospel is good enough to get me to heaven, but it certainly isn't applicable to my daily life. And it's not good for my kids either. The thing that I think we miss the most is, is that God never stops giving grace. How many of you received the grace of salvation? And how many of you are tempted to think it stops right there? God keeps throwing grace our way. But here's the thing. If we are too self-righteous to go get that grace, God's not going to just force it on us. So I made a statement down here. And I want you to look at that. Right above that, there's a little paragraph right above Luke chapter 18, that reference. And I want you to just look at that with me. If we want our families to be gospel-centered, stop. How many of you, how many in your mind are like, yes, that's the ideal family, a gospel-centered, gospel-focused family? How many of you agree with me? That's great. Yes. So if we want our families to be gospel-centered, then we, as parents, have to bring the gospel to bear on what? We think about, we have to bring it to bear heavy on my kids. I have got to constantly drop the cross on them. That's the way we often parent. But if you want to do it right, if you want to do it in a way that honors the Lord, where do you drop the cross heavy first? On your own self. On your own self. We have to bring the gospel to bear on our own failures. Or put another way, you as a parent cannot communicate or demonstrate grace to your children 
if you're not communicating it to your own heart first. It just doesn't work. And so let's look, let's look at a parable that Jesus gave late in his ministry that dealt with this epidemic that's still an epidemic today, the epidemic of self-righteousness. Let's go to, to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. How many of you figured out that you're not good enough as a parent in and of your own self? How many of you are reminded that daily by your children? Yeah, right. Okay. You're not good enough, and that's okay. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be good enough. You can't be good enough. <laughs> and so, so there's got to be some, there's got to be a better way to do this. Because God hasn't put us in this relationship with Him and with our children for us to fail at it. Now, has He? He hasn't put us in this to, so that we will fail. So let's look at Luke chapter 18, verse 9. He also, Jesus, told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Okay, so, so Luke gives us the purpose for writing this, and the whole purpose for writing this is, is Jesus is trying to indict people who battle with self-righteousness. Now stop right there. If you don't see yourself as battling with self-righteousness, this parable is for you. Because if you don't see yourself battling self-righteousness, you are self-righteous. Is that a true statement? Every single one of us battles it. And so, what's the point of a parable before we begin? Why did Jesus talk in parables? A couple reasons. What? What are they first? What are parables? They're stories that Jesus told, right? From common everyday things that people could relate to, right? They're illustrations of real life taken right from real life. Many times Jesus would use illustrations that, were, that dealt with farm life, right? So he's using an illustration here that, that, that they would see every day because where he's at and as he's talking, they're familiar with the temple and they understand what goes on in the temple, right? And they were very familiar with Pharisees being in the temple, right? You couldn't go to the temple grounds without running into a bunch of Pharisees right? And so this is, this is the story he tells. Now, let's understand why Jesus talks in parables. There's two reasons. One, it's to shed light on a spiritual truth for those who can receive that truth. But the second reason that Jesus said he taught parables was, was so that it would further blind the eyes of those who wanted to be blind. Okay? Which is why I said, if you don't see yourself as self-righteous, this one's for you. Okay, so two men, verse 10, went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. This is a normal thing that, that people would go up into the temple and by going up, literally climbing the steps up into the, the courtyard of the temple. And, and as they go up to this temple, they have this idea that they're going there to pray. And, and verse 11, the first one, the Pharisee, who is a Pharisee, by the way? What is a Pharisee? Describe a Pharisee to me. He's a self-righteous person who put his hopes and trust in what? Keeping rules, right? Keeping rules. Is he a legalist? Is he a legalist? So what, 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 is a classic, what is the classic thing that legalists have? They're not just looking at their own hearts. Whose other hearts are they looking at? Everybody else is around them. Okay not indicting any of you that have this in your house, but, but if you have job charts for your kids and you tick off what they do, you could be a legalist because it's all about the performance. It's all about the performance. Or it could be that you just have so many kids and you need to keep them busy so you give them lots of jobs. Could be that too, okay? The Pharisee standing by himself prayed this way, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. What's the big pronoun in his prayer? 
me, me, I. This is what I do, God. And, and it's, like, it's like he's trying to present himself. He, here are the things I do for you. He's like a cat that catches the mouse and leaves it on the doorstep for God. Right? Here's what I do for you, God. Here's what I do. Verse 13, but the tax collector. Why would Jesus choose a tax collector? How is he viewed in that society? Hated, why? He robbed from his own people, right? He robbed from his own people. With, with seemingly without conscience, right? Okay? And, and he represented, he was, he was a Jewish citizen who represented the government of Rome. Okay? Can you get any more reviled in your own homeland? You work for the Romans. It's kind of like, just think, about, just think about how you would feel if you lived next door to an IRS agent who was constantly looking at you and like, do you report that? Do you report that? Do you report that? But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, Jesus gives the take home. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, you don't find grace mentioned in there, but, but there, this, this whole thing is about grace. Who is grace available to? Which one of the two? Why the tax collector? Does he deserve grace? Has he begun to earn it at all? No, but he knows he doesn't earn it, and he knows he doesn't deserve it, and so Jesus said, that's the one who gets grace. That's the one who gets grace. Look down at that first bullet point. Whenever you and I try to earn forgiveness, we deny the grace of God. Now, how does that apply to your own heart first, and then think about how you apply that to your children's hearts? Okay? As a parent, you've all admitted to me that you make mistakes, right? Right? And so if you're trying to earn your children's favor after you've made a mistake with them, it's like saying there's no really grace, there's nothing that really helps with this, I just have to kind of earn this back from you. Can you earn it from, can you earn it from your children even? No, you can't. But what we do is, look at the second second sentence there. We make the cross inadequate. Why would I say it that way? If you have to earn forgiveness, then what was, why, why did Jesus die? If, 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 if we believe that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient, it has to be fully sufficient, right? It can't be sufficient plus you've got to do something, right? The Christian life and Christian parenting is a lifetime of confessing, repenting, and trusting in the promise of forgiveness. Is that a true statement? How many of you want your children to, to confess Christ as Lord? How many of you desire that? You want to know the best way to help them with that? is not praying for salvation for yourself every day, but confessing your own sins to the Lord and teaching them, I have to confess my sins to God too. And I used that illustration at the very beginning about two social media posts to illustrate something. When we live in a world where we think that all we have to do is just impress people around us because if we can impress people around us, we're doing better than them, you know, the woman who, 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 like, she has four chickens in her backyard that produce seven dozen of eggs every week, and, and she has the perfect house, and she does Trim Healthy Mama or whatever the latest, tri, the latest habit is, and then she works out, and she does all these things, and she posts it all on social media, and her children always look perfect in her posts. She's trying to earn. She's trying to earn her righteousness. And her righteousness is cheap in that her righteousness comes from your approval. Can I say it again to you, parents? Young mothers, blow up your social media. Blow it up. Break your phone. Get a dumb phone. 
It's an epidemic, and it's killing families because it's cutting off. It's literally choking grace off. It's choking grace off. Read that sentence again with me. The Christian life is a lifetime of confession, repentance, and trust in the promise of forgiveness. It's not that you have to get resaved over and over, but here's the thing. We continue to sin, don't we? Because we battle this thing called the flesh. And that's your big battle as a mom and as a dad is you're battling your own flesh. And as you battle your flesh, you're going to sin. And if you don't have a habit of confessing your sin and owning it before God, and then owning it in front of your children. How many of you have been guilty of saying something that you shouldn't have said in front of your children? Maybe it's about somebody in the church. Maybe it's about somebody in your family or whatever, and you said something you shouldn't have said. And, and you find yourself doing, you know what, don't repeat that. Which is, a, which is a cue to our kids to do what? Tell everybody you know. Right? Rather than saying, what daddy just said was wrong and I shouldn't have spoken poorly about that person. Not just that I spoke it in front of you, but I shouldn't have spoken it at all. Would you please forgive me? Because I shouldn't have said that. What's the difference between those two sentences? Don't repeat that. What are you telling your child? We have a double standard in our house, right? When we're within the safety of these walls, we can do whatever sin that we want to do within these four walls, right? But what does the other one say? I, as a dad, screw up too, and I have to repent, just like I want you to repent. Okay? So let's keep working down here. Second bullet point. I left a word out. I'm good at it. If our parenting reflects legalism, and by legalism we're saying that only the rules matter, what, describe for me what a legalistic parent might look like. Not that any of you would be familiar with this. What does a legalistic parent look like? Let me ask you some leading questions. Do legalistic parents care about the heart of the child as much as they care about the actions of the child? Okay. So what else does legalistic parent looking, look like now that I've gotten you started? What could it look like? Are you all afraid to indict yourself? That's the way I raised you. <laughs> as long as you look okay, you speak okay, you show okay, you're okay. That's legalistic parenting. That's ex look at Luke 18. What was the Pharisee doing? You, he's not looking down, he's looking up. So where is his prayer going? It's going to whoever is listening, right? And there are people who are duped in the courtyard that day listening to the Pharisee preach, and they're saying this, he's such a godly man. Not godly, godly. There's a difference, right? Who was that prayer for? Was it for him? It was for the people around him listening. And guess what? It was probably true. He wasn't like the extortioners, the tax collectors. He probably did fast twice a week, and he was careful to give all the money he was supposed to give on top of it because it was all about keeping the rules. Will keeping the rules get you to heaven? Will keeping the rules get your children to heaven? Does that mean you shouldn't have rules? No, your rules should be designed to point them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And your rules should be designed the same way that the law is designed for. Can anyone keep the law? Just like your, parent, like your children can't keep your rules, right? They can't even keep their rooms clean, little wretches, right? Right? So if your parenting reflects legalism or license... And let's talk about what license is. What, what kind of parenting is the parenting that, that is from the, the side of license? 
Gentle parenting, yes, that probably reflects that. What else? You've heard me just tongue-in-cheek call it what? Free-range parenting, right? Just let your kids run. Let your kids make their own decisions. Have you ever seen this happen before? Where, where a mother, and she's so intent, and she usually is talking this way to her little three-year-old. I want you to make this decision. Do you want peanut butter and jelly or macaroni and cheese? Three-year-olds learn how they can manipulate their moms really early if their moms are manipulative, right? And you know what that three-year-old's going to learn to do? Well, you are here to serve me, so let's just think about this for a second. Right? Either way, either extreme, legalism, license, notice what it does. We're making it harder for our children to see and hear God's saving grace in Christ. Why is that? Why is that? Why is parenting from a legalistic point of view making it hard for them to see the grace that's found in Christ? Why? What's that? You're focused on external, what? You're not demonstrating any grace, right? Because if you're legalistic, you better come down hard every time they break the law, right? Right? Okay? The legalism, that's very good. Legalistic parenting doesn't teach the why. It's more of just do what I tell you to do because I told you to do it, right? Does God give us the why in Scripture? Yeah, He does. Okay. How is parenting to the other extreme, though, that that the rules of God don't matter, how is that making them hard to see God's saving grace? That's a little more obvious, I think, right? How is that making them harder for them to see God's grace? Well, the big reason is because there's no need for God's grace then, right? There's no need for God's grace. If anything goes, you don't need any grace, right? You and I have this tremendous opportunity, but it's also a really hard thing to do to model the grace of Christ to our kids. Hmm. So really, there's, there's really three options in your parenting, as I see it, because I, I, I don't know about you, I like things simplistic. Give me three choices and I'll choose from those, right? Okay, there's legalistic parenting, there's no rules parenting, or there's gospel parenting. Now, let's make a real clear distinction here. Is gospel parenting perfect parenting? Can you, can you, can you get perfection in your parenting? Can you do it? No. You can't be perfect, and you never will be perfect, and that's okay because Jesus is perfect. One of the biggest things that you and I need to do in our parenting, in our grandparenting, or our future parenting, covering everybody in this room, is is be pointing our children that are under our care to the one who is perfect. So you have to discipline little Bobby or little Susie, okay? That's never fun, right? That's never fun to discipline. But an important part of that discipline, whether you're grounding the kid from his Xbox for the next 78 months, or whether you have to actually break out the wooden spoon and actually, you know, spank the kid, if you really want to point them to Christ, you will bring Christ in as a part of that. You know what? Daddy, daddy doesn't get it right. And I have to confess my sins. And, and mommy doesn't get it right. We often mess up. You see it. We live it in front of you. And, but there is someone who always got it right. And he took our place. Now here's the problem with that. Does that take more time than just a simple grounding? Does it? Kids, have you figured this out? Kids never misbehave at convenient times. Be honest, how many of you had to deal with the discipline issue as you were getting ready for church this morning? It's never convenient. 
because you're trying to make your kids look perfect so that you can walk into church and everybody thinks that everybody's okay at our house. Right? It would be refreshing. And it happened a couple weeks ago. I asked a parent as they were coming in, how you doing? How's, how, how, how's the week been? Well, quite honestly, it's been the worst morning ever. I fought with my son the whole morning. I found that refreshing because it was like transparent and honest. The rest of us come in here and we're like, it's been a great day. Love Jesus. It's, it's sunny out. <laughs> Kids are perfect, man. Just look at them. Shut up. Right? Right? Some of you are dreading what you're going to hear that your kids have done at winter retreat when they get back. But it's a good morning for you because you haven't had to deal with your bratty teenage son this morning, right? Just keeping it real here. The idea of perfection will crush you as a parent. So let's talk about probably what is the biggest source of guilt. And, and honestly, as a parent, if you're just a parent of young children, you, you are living this belief that this would never happen to you because you're going to do it in such a way that my kids can't help but love Jesus. But, but those of us who have, who have been through the parenting road a couple times, we will tell you that there is no greater source or potential source of guilt than having a child who doesn't walk with Jesus, who is or is seemingly fighting or teetering on the edge. So what do we do about that? Because if you have teenagers, when you have teenagers, you're going to face this. And the worst thing you can do to your kid is just, is just make them believe that you've brought them to church all this time and that, and that you've raised them in your, whatever your idea of your safe bubble is in your home and that they're going to automatically go out and love Jesus because you and, and your wife or you and your husband love Jesus. It is not about, Christianity is not something that we transfer down like stuff in a will, people. Your child has to do what? What does your child have to do? They have to come to a place themselves where they see themselves as responsible before Jesus himself, don't they? And you have to prepare them for that. Every once in a while, let me give you a clue, especially those of you with young children, every once in a while on the car on the way to church, have this conversation with them. Why do we go to church every Sunday? Don't give them the right answer. Listen to what they tell you. Why would I say that? What are some of the answers you think you're going to get if you ask your children that? Why do we go to church every Sunday? Why do we do this? As you're pulling out of your neighborhood and everybody else is like still in bed or whatever. Why, why do we get up and go to church every Sunday morning? What are some of the answers you're going to get? To see our friends? What else? because we have to. What else are you going to get? Maybe. If you, have the, if you have the kid who tends towards self-righteousness and gives the Sunday school answers, yeah, that's what you're going to get. What else are you going to get? Yeah, teenagers going to give you the, I don't know. Donuts, yeah. What else? See their friends? I don't know. I don't know. How many are you going to get that? I don't know. I don't know why we do it. This is a sidelight. If you want your kids to be excited about coming to church, then you yourself have to be, and you cannot grill the service on the way home like they didn't sing any good songs this week. Or... I don't know what Paul was trying to say this morning. I'm still trying to figure it out. Or why did we have to read the psalm that Pastor Dan read this morning? That is the most depressing psalm. I didn't need to hear that. You know what your kids are going to hear? Church is all about consumerism. It's what we're here to consume. 
Have the discussion with your kids. Do it in that time. Say why, and then, then you better have a good reason for why you do it. But have that discussion. Have that discussion with them when you bring them to Awana, if you bring them to Awana. Why do we go to Awana? Because that's where I see my friends. Because I want to earn little things to put on my shirt. Why do I make you go to impact? There will come a day when your kids will be like, I don't want to go. I'm 15, Dad. I can make my own decisions now. You better have a good reason. Is there a good reason? You better have one. So what do we deal with the guilt of the kid who would absolutely just question and say, I don't even know why we're going to church. It makes no sense to me. This is good for you. What do we do with that guilt? Well, let me give you a couple things here. Number one, go with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. I've written there, acknowledge that we are responsible to be good witnesses and representatives of the gospel, but we are not responsible for their salvation. Look up here for a second. If you give your kid the impression that you are responsible for their, sal their salvation, who are they going to look to to be their savior? And too often, they see their parents as their saviors. You can't even save yourself. And if you're not demonstrating to your kids that I need a savior who's far greater than me, they're just going to keep looking to you to be their savior. And that, quite honestly, will damn them to hell. Look at Romans chapter 2. I'm really excited to get started in Romans next week. It's like I've been loading the gun, and it's, just, it's probably going to come out like a machine gun the first couple of weeks. You're going to have to like rein him in, okay? But look at Romans chapter 2 and verse 6, where, where Paul says this about God. He will render to each one according to what his parents taught him. What does it say? His works. In other words... You can't be a shield for your children. Wouldn't it be cool if we could? But that wouldn't be grace, would it? That wouldn't be true salvation. That'd be works-based salvation. You can't be a shield for your kids. You, you can't be the silver bullet for your kids that gets them into heaven. You, you can't do it. So first and foremost, you have to acknowledge this. You have to raise your children as best as you can by God's grace. You have to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You've got to do all these things. You have, to, you have to demonstrate to them that it's good to be a part of a local fellowship of believers. You've got to demonstrate to them that we do this because we love Jesus, because there, there is someone who's far greater that we're, we're responsible to. You've got to demonstrate that, but you cannot save your children. You cannot make them make a decision for Jesus. So stop dragging them to their knees every night at bedtime. Don't you want to pray to accept Jesus tonight? You know who does a far better job than that than you? God's Holy Spirit. Can anybody drag you to the throne of Christ for salvation? No. So stop trying to drag your kids there. Just be faithful. Be faithful and trust Him. Secondly, We sin as parents. In fact, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, he's saying some things that I've never done as a parent and I feel like a total complete failure. Well, 1 John 1, 9 deals with that. If we confess our sins, what does it mean to confess our sins? What does it mean to confess them? My bad, God, yeah. What's it mean? To confess our sins means to say the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin. That's a good definition to give to your children. Confession of our sin means to say the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin. What does God say about our sin? Our sin is wretched. Our sin is terrible. Our sin forced him or, or it caused him to put his son on a cross. Right? Right? 
If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the biggest ways you can model this to your kid is by actually seeking their forgiveness when you do wrong by them. That's like going to show weakness, Pastor Dan. They're going to know then. And then there's going to be no respect for me. Again, the double standard thing in your house. If, you're, if your children think that you're perfect or they think that you think that you're perfect and that you never make any mistakes, they're either going to be one, repulsed by that, or two, they're never going to match up in their minds. And neither one are good. Neither one are good. What happens if you don't seek your child's forgiveness? Do they know when you've sinned against them? Do your children know when you are angry and disciplining them? Do their little radars go off? I've just made dad, I've just inconvenienced dad and that's why I'm getting yelled at. Right? They know that, right? And if we don't confess our sins to our children, what happens? It's exactly what Paul warns us about in Ephesians chapter 6. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But he says, fathers, do not frustrate or exasperate your children. There's nothing more frustrating to a kid that when they see sin in front of them and it's not called out, or when they see themselves being called out for their sin and their moms and their dads don't own up to their own sins. Do you see how that would be frustrating to it? Because every one of us is born with a little, little lawyer inside of us that has a justice meter. Right? That's why kids on the playground say, that's not fair. Because they're all born with a little lawyer inside of them. And if we don't model what forgiveness is to our children, our children aren't going to want what we've got. Because you give the idea of, well, I'm perfect. I'm helping a person right now deal with a situation in their life, and it's become apparent that, that the person who is offending this person has grown, had grown up and had been involved under parents that had taught him, it was like, okay, you just fake it all through life, and you do it this way, and you get people to believe it, and that's the way that that person operates in their life right now. It's what I say, it's not what I do. So let's look at some questions for reflection that I want you to think about this week. Before I do that, questions or thoughts for me? We're, we're, we're moving through kind of quick today. Any thoughts or questions for me today? Yeah. Yeah. Gospel parenting. Yeah. Okay. So you go to license, you go, you, go from, you go from legalism all the way over to license, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the question is, how do I go from, and I think it's probably represented more in this room than people are willing to admit, so thank you for admitting it. The idea that on, on, I find myself being legalistic and then to make up for it, I swing the pendulum too far the other way. Come on, honestly, how many of you feel that way? Yeah. Okay. How do you, how do you fight that? I think it begins where? In our own hearts, right? And it begins this way. It begins with confession. Okay, God, here's, here's my propensity. And, and, and it also comes in, we have to ask ourselves, what is ruling my heart? What desire is ruling my heart when I'm really tough with the rules? And it could be a lot of things that could be ruling our heart. I just want an orderly house. I just want a little bit of peace and quiet. It's I, I, I though, usually, right? Those of you who tend to be more legalistic in your parenting, is it usually about you and not about your kids? 
Sometimes it can be about the kids, though. You don't understand how bad this world is. I have got to rule you into safety with a ton of rules. And I've seen that. I've seen parents try to do that. And here's the thing. Can you protect your children from the world with rules? You can't build enough guardrails. You can't. So you've got to start with your own heart idols, as I would put it. Does that make sense to you, Carrie? What's ruling my heart? So then when you swing the pendulum clear over here then and say, you know what, I'm going to let you free range for a while, what's ruling your heart there? A lot of times it's this desire, I want you to like me. I want you as my child to like me. Come on, be honest, isn't that a trap that's easy to fall into? I want to be the cool dad. Or at least I want to be the dad who isn't the total dork dad. Right? And so we got to check our heart idols there too. Because both, both extremes are ruled by bad heart idols. Aaron just said, you don't want to be the same parent that your parents were. Anybody there? Yeah. You can raise your hand, Malia. It's okay. I'll get it. <laughs> I won't tell mom, Malia. <laughs> How to get in trouble in less than 10 seconds. It always starts with your heart. What's ruling your heart? And then after you deal with that, as your kids get older, Carrie, because I'm answering your question, and, and your kids are getting to, your kids are all at that age. Maybe Cecily's not quite there. I'm just using you because you asked the question. You admit to your kids, this is where I've messed up with you. I was too hard here in an attempt to make up for it. I'm letting you get away with far too much here. And that's humbling. But it's also freeing. And it's also teaching your children, you know what? Dad makes mistakes. I see those mistakes. I've been on the end of those mistakes. But dad is big enough to admit his mistakes and to seek forgiveness from Christ. And, and if he forgives my dad, he'll forgive me. Does that help you? It's inconvenient. I'm just going to keep going back to that. It's inconvenient. It's a lot more convenient just to like, would you just obey me now? Right? That's more convenient. Or, you know what? Just go do what you want to do. I'm, I'll clean up the mess tomorrow. That's more convenient many times. Having the, the conversations is inconvenient. Any other question? It's good. Because a lot of us were thinking that. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. What helps me kind of stay in the middle is remembering that like they're actual people. <laughs> <laughs> I end up like talking at them yeah. a lot and not treating them like they're actual people. Yeah. Doesn't mean they're your peer. No. But they're just people made in God's image like you are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and here's let me let me give you this glimpse into grace too. There will come a day. There are veteran parents in this room. There will come a day when your children do become your friends. But while they're under your care in your house, don't parent them like you're trying to make them your friend. If you, if you keep pointing them to a Jesus, there will come a day when they will be your friends. Am I right? Some of you back there? They will become your friends. But you don't want them to be your friends when they're little. Have you seen what their friends are like? You don't want to be like them. Right? I mean, their friends pick their noses like they do. You don't want to be their friend. But the day when they become your friend is a great day, but you've got to be patient and wait, and you've got to build towards that. I think of parenting like this, and maybe this is too simplistic. When they're very young, you're almost like, at first, all you are is the caregiver. You're the nurse, Right? And then all of a sudden you have this awkward transition where you go from being like nurse to drill sergeant, right? 
They don't do anything without your direction, right? I mean, it's one of the hardest things for young adults to learn when they go to the military is they're so used to being autonomous, they get to make their own decisions, and all of a sudden they get in the military, and it's like, no, you're an idiot. You don't make any decisions anymore for yourself. And when, parent, when our kids are little, we're kind of like drill sergeants, aren't we? Because kids are dumb. They will go put their hand on the, on the stove, and they will burn themselves, Right? And then, and then you transition from being kind of like the drill sergeant to, to there comes a point where you become like a coach. Is a coach still the authority? Does a coach still control what goes on? But what does the coach do? The coach lets them go out on the field and play, right? And the coach, the coach can't coach in the middle of the game. He can do a little bit, right? But the coach, what he does is at the next practice, after they've made all the mistakes, what does the coach do? We need to fix this, we need to fix this, we need to fix this. Or you did well with this. You, here's where you can get better with this. And then they advance and eventually they become your peer, they become your friend. But the mistake we make is we make them, there is nothing worse than the, than the mother of a teenager or a father of a teenager who treats their kid just like they're their best buddy. They're not ready for that. They still need coaching. They still need coaching. There comes a point where they become pretty good friends. I'd like to think that I'm pretty good friends with my adult children. Please don't burst that bubble, you two of you that are in the room. But we weren't friends for many years, were we? <laughs> he hangs his head. <laughs> we weren't friends for many years. That's good. Okay, look at these questions real quick. I want you to consider these this week. How have your parenting ideals changed over the years? This is the classic. If you have more than one, child, more than one child, when you, when you had your first child, it's going to be this way, this way, this way, this way. How has that changed over the years? It's crushed, yes. Blown up. Search your heart. Am I a legalistic parent who thinks that rules matter the most? Am I a parent who doesn't bring God's standard to bear? Where do you find God's standard, by the way? I know this is an obvious answer, but where are you, where are you looking at for God's standard? Whatever Pastor Dan says? No, where? The Word. How do my children see me? And, and this is a question for those of us even with adult children. How do my children see me handle my failures and sins? And does the way I handle it reflect the gospel to them? And then, just real pointed, what parenting issues do I need to confess, repent, and trust in God's forgiveness? And then in that, are there sins that I need to confess to my own children about and make right? How many of you want grace for your families? It doesn't begin until you have grace yourself. You want that grace to first pour into your own heart so much so that it overflows into the heart of your kids. Think about it that way. God just pours so much grace in that it can't help but overflow into the heart of my kids. Father, I'm so grateful that you haven't stopped giving grace. And forgive us, Lord, as parents specifically, as we talk about this in a parenting context, forgive us for, as it were, just shutting off the tap of your grace, thinking that we have to perform as parents and that that's the only way we're going to be good parents. Free us from that kind of thinking, I pray. I pray that we would daily be running to you for a never-ending supply of grace, and that it would flow out of us through us to our children, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.